Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Buffalo Sports Podcast. It's your host, AJ Sabalski. And today I am joined by Matt Perino from NYUpinSyracuse.com. Make sure to go subscribe to his podcast on all, many of the platforms, Google, Spotify, Apple, all the shop podcasts with Ryan Talbot. Uh, I had a final this morning, Ryan, or Matt, at 8 o'clock in the morning. And uh, I, I was – after the game, I'm like, oh, should I go to bed? And then I, t- I messaged Ryan on Twitter, and I'm like, you guys doing a show tonight? And uh, he's like, yeah, closer to one, though. Matt's got – you know, you got the interviews and stuff to take care of. I'm like, oh, all right. So I ended up staying up and watching the whole thing, and I'm glad I did because I liked everything you guys talked about, and it was a great, it was a great podcast. Thanks, man. Well, did you, stay, did you go to sleep? I did. I went to bed around two thirty, seven thirty, and then took my final. Uh, finished around nine thirty, and then now nice. I'm all Parkville football. So I remember those days, man. So uh, kudos to you getting after it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a grind. So, uh, so the game last night. So I just want to recap. Um, yeah. So like like the San Fran game, uh, typical start for the offense. Uh, in the San Francisco game, they had a little more success driving down the field. But this game, I mean, they couldn't even get a first down. I think they had three first downs at one point. And then a fifth-round pick from Weber State, Teron Johnson, who's had his ups and downs. The guy, he's he struggled as early on. And then as the years went on, he's gotten better. And he just made a beautiful play on a great receiver and a great quarterback and took him back to the house. Um, and then after that, the second half, Allen – uh, showed up in the second half, played great ball, started 10 to 10, two touchdowns in the third quarter. Uh, I just wanted you to talk about, you know, your thoughts on the game and how, how you feel. Yeah, I mean, like the big piece of it for me going in was how would Josh Allen respond eventually when it wasn't going well? I mean, you go back and watch all the games this year, and, you know, for the majority of the time, this offense has been clicking from the time the game started, you know, through the first half. I mean, it's been notable how um, much they've struggled consistently offensively in the third quarter. And tonight was the, the, or last night was this Bills offense flipping the script. And they were, they came out. I felt like the Steelers had a good game plan um, for Josh. They were getting some pressure by sending four and five, and uh, they were obviously covering. I wrote in my preview before the game, this is one of the best secondaries in the NFL. I know they didn't have Joe Hayden, but those safeties are as good as you get. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick is so good at uh, disguising what he does, flying around the field and making quarterbacks pay for mistakes. And I felt like even though it wasn't going right in the first half where they weren't moving the ball, they weren't able to you know, score points, you could tell that there was a patient confidence to the way that Brian Dable was sticking with the game plan and believing in his passing game. Cause one of the things I, I, I also talked about the last couple of weeks as you know, if you remember going into the bye week as the run game continued to struggle, I was like, listen, I, I, I get you want to find balance and you want to work on the run game and you want to get Devin and Zach going, but you don't want to go away from what makes you who you are. And what we saw in that third quarter was a Bills offense that was, you know, unstoppable. And this is a, a really, really good Pittsburgh Steelers um, defense that just had no answers for Stephon Diggs. This was Stephon Diggs' game on national TV. Last week was Josh Allen's moment. This was Stephon Diggs' moment because he put the team on his back and absolutely dominated. I mean, he's got the NF, or the Bills record for catches in a season with three games to go. He's going to become uh, – He's going he's gonna to break a lot of records, you know, for this Bills team as long as he stays healthy. So 
I think it was it showed maturity as a team, as a as a a young offense coming kind of coming together, uh, responding from maybe uh, not the start that they were looking for, and a defense now that is certainly looking like the defense that Bills fans remember from the last two seasons. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger was visibly frustrated by the end of that game, and so much so that. He said in his post-game press conference that he's just not very good at football. So, I mean, that, the Bills' defense did that to him. So, um, I think you just got to tip your hat to them on, on both sides of the ball. This was a big game coming off of a huge win on short week, and they delivered again, and they're sitting at 10-3 and three for the first time since 1991. Yeah. Uh, the Patriots cannot win the AFC East. I mean – this is a huge, huge season, man. I mean, I think that everybody was hoping, fan-wise, was hoping for what this could be. And I think now the expectations just have to get ratcheted up a bit. Yeah, and I want to start, like you said, you talked about like the kind of the narrative about the game. Like like Tomlin was saying, we got them in pads. They kind of, on Friday, you know, they were like, some of the media members were like, oh, Tomlin, Tomlin's not going to let this team lose back-to-back weeks and all this. And, uh just the, the the juju dance and you know the guys whatever saying saying their thing and Allen's talk with some with some language but it's, to sum it up he basically said they can do their dancing and talking and, and we'll do the work so I really think uh, the the Bills used all those things I think knowing that they f- uh, flew up on Sunday morning uh, they practiced in pads on Friday I think the Bills used those things and then the juju dance obviously I think they use those things to motivate themselves and. Coach McDermott does a great job of using that to enhance what they want to do during the game. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's coming out now across social media over the last 12 hours. I mean, we saw the Bills put out the video of Josh Allen's pregame speech and said, let them do the dancing. We're going to work. Um, Tyrell Dotson and Dean Marlowe had some tweets after the game where they were basically you know, saying, hey, we should put our dance on TikTok. And I don't think what's funny about the whole thing is I don't actually think Juju does it as like a disrespectful thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's just to mark the the occasion of playing the game. Like I guess he does this pretty regularly. Yeah, he's done. But it. I think you got to be yeah, you got to be a little bit smarter because you know this is a game where teams seek out a little the littlest of advantages. You could tell that this fired up the Bills defense and they showed up. They played, but. This is an extension of what we've been seeing over the past month from this defense. Yeah, absolutely. The defense is a, is a new breed. And what, if they can start getting the quarterback consistently, it, it'll definitely be scary because that's that's the next step I think I want them to take as a, as a defense is to be able to get to that quarterback. I know I know Ben Roethlisberger is throwing, getting rid of the ball from the snap to the throw at like a record pace this season. But uh, I'd like to see the, the defense give a couple more sacks. I mean, they've been turning the ball over. They've been getting off the field on third down. So they've been doing all those things. I just want to see a little more sacks from the. Uh, all right, AJ, what do you, you want? Everything, huh? You want you want a, a little bit of everything? Like I think, like to your point, yeah, he was getting rid of the ball fast, but I think that they did execute on the defensive line pretty well. Like I think that they're really getting a good grasp of who they are as a defense, mm-hmm. and you're seeing like Ben was was frustrated, like moving around the pocket, like. A lot of his throws were impacted. He had a couple near picks in the first half, if you go back and watch the game. And that's a lot of that's the work of the defensive line. And I thought that um, I'm looking up right now. 
Matt Milano led the Bills yesterday with four pressures. They had 15 in the games, uh, according to Pro Football Focus. Mm-hmm. Um, pass rush um, grade wise, Milano was the top graded pass rusher for the Bills. He only played 27 snaps, uh, yeah. so he's they're still bringing him along slowly. But to your point, yeah, I mean, you know, Jerry Hughes and and company all sub sub 60 grades on PFF. But I think that the way that they're scheming their pressure is what's working right now. And you can't argue with the results. I mean, Pittsburgh went into that game averaging 360 yards of offense uh, a game or something around that number. Bills held them to 240. They were averaging 27 points, and they held them to 15. So, I mean, an offense that's been one of, you know, especially early on in the season, I know things haven't been going well for them lately, but on the national stage, an angry team looking to rebound, and this defense basically shut them down. It's a huge performance. Oh, yeah, by no means am I saying. I, I still believe this defense is, looks like last year, especially last uh, night. I'm just giving you a hard time. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I just want – I mean, I don't know. TJ, like, like a pass rusher, speaking of next year, like I just want that, – that's, a, I think, our biggest need. I just want that pass rusher that can get to the quarterback consistently and like jo- Joey Bosa, TJ Watt, all those guys. I think that would really put our defense on like a top three consistently throughout the whole, whole entire year. So uh, now I want to talk about Levi Wallace. So last week I had Ryan on the pod and like we discussed it and he's, he was mentioning bringing about like Dane Jackson, maybe, or Josh Norman, because uh, Levi was just so not, not good against all the 49ers and had one of his worst PFF grades of the year as a cornerback. Um, now for me, I always, I like Levi, like even after last week, I wanted him to stay cornerback too. And for him to show up against, like, one of the best receiving corps in the league and to, to have three pass breakups, an interception, like a snag. I know he got beat, and if Big Ben makes that throw there, um, with, especially with Levi's recovery speed, James Washington's to the house. But he underthrew it. Levi made a play on the ball, made a pick. What Leslie Frazier said last week after this uh, San Fran game was, yeah, Levi didn't make enough plays on the outside. And – Norman got some snaps, and Levi still made enough plays uh, this game. So I just want you to speak on Levi and talk about that. Yeah, I'm looking at his numbers here. I thought he had a pretty good game. I mean, six targets. uh, He only gave up two receptions. That's after last week when he was targeted, I think it was 12 times. uh, For 25 yards, he gave up the touchdown. That was just a a nice move. That was a nice play. It was a good throw. Listen, you're going to make mistakes in this league. And, like, for as good as Tredavious White is, He's given up plays over the course of the season. It happens. And I thought that the, way, the the most important thing for Levi yesterday is that in a big spot where, you know, they brought Josh Norman back around and he started rotating in with them. I thought that he responded in a big way. And that's what you want to see. Uh, I mean, Norman was only targeted two, two times. He gave up one catch to Chase Claypool and made another really nice play on him. Yeah. Um, and I actually don't have the – I'm looking at trying to look at the snap counts to see actually how much. So he, so Josh Norman played 32 snaps. Levi Wallace only played 25. So from that perspective, you can kind of, um, you know, deduce that, you know, Josh Norman, they weren't, they weren't throwing as much at Josh Norman and Josh Norman's got a bit of a reputation in this league. I know he struggled in Washington, but I think that the goal was always to get them on the field together. And I think, like some type of rotation here could be perfect. It's Josh Norman's not a spring chicken. You can, you can maybe, 
save like the wear and tear on his body by by um, having a, a snap split with, with Levi Wallace. And then Levi Wallace, you know, this could be a motivating factor. You could tell that he was motivated to make plays in this game, and he did that. He made the big interception in the, late in the game. But I thought, listen, he's Levi Wallace is not a Pro Bowl uh, cornerback at this stage in his career. You never know what's going to happen. I thought that he he responded. He had a good game. He's going to have some good games. He's going to have some games where he, there, there's some frustration. Um, but I think that the way this defense plays, the most important piece of this all is getting them comfortable together, getting them as many snaps as possible before the playoffs. Um, and I think that what we saw yesterday was a defense that's very comfortable in its own skin against a good playoff caliber offense. And um, – yeah, I, I don't have a huge um, – I, I talked about Levi Wallace last week because, you know, he struggled. And when a player struggles, we're going to talk about it on our show. But I, I, by no means did I think that it should be something where it's like, oh, man, get him to the bench. Like, I, I, of course, I, I, I like Dane Jackson. I like what I've seen. I'd like to see more of him. But I do understand Le- Leslie Frazier's point as well that, you know, you can't – forget what Levi Wallace has done, the stability that he's brought to that position over the last two years. He's had some good games in his run. I think he's moving in on almost 40 starts for the Bills. So uh, it'll be something interesting to watch. But I think when you have Tredavious White, Micah Hyde, and Jordan Poyer in your secondary, you're good. Yeah, I don't think you have to worry. I mean, yeah, the quarterback two is still important. But, yeah, those three guys are just playing phenomenal football. And, yeah, to your point, um, yeah, Levi, I – He's a guy that knows the system. Uh, he's like you said, he started a lot of games for this defense when they were in the top tier of the league. Uh, he's been there. I'm a little surprised that you mentioned that Norman had more snaps last night. Uh, to me, watching the game, I thought Levi was going to have like a 60 40. I'm surprised that you said that Norman uh, actually out snapped and that was on the field more than Levi. Yeah, I was, I, I was surprised to see that too. <laughs> uh, so I want to talk about now, obviously, uh, Stefan Diggs. Um, and just, you know, I, I know your tweet, the other, you said that he, they won the trade. And I just want you to, like, elaborate on that because uh, I agree with you 100%. Uh, Stefan Diggs showed up big time. Uh, I think their, their defenders' ankles are still on the field as they're talking right now. So I just want you to talk about uh, Stefan Diggs' game last night and how he showed that he's, he's truly a top five wide receiver, top three wide receiver in this league. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And I think there's an argument to be made that he's the best wide receiver in this league. He's the most – he's so consistent. And finally given the opportunity to be featured, um, you know, it's been covered pretty well. I'm writing about it today that, you know, what happened in Minnesota was on Minnesota for how they managed him. And, you know, who knows what the – all the details of what happened there really are and the the back and forth. You, you, we're only going off of one side of, of things with Diggs. But in this environment, he's thrived where, you know, the team is up front with him. They let him be who he is. They give him the targets that he's asked for because, let's be honest, you pay a guy $14 million a year, you better get him the ball. Like, and – He's done what he's done with that opportunity. All he's done is make plays. And the reason I said that the the Bills definitively won that trade is because of what it could mean. I'm not sitting here telling you at this point that Justin Jefferson can't be some big part of a Super Bowl championship team in Minnesota. I'm not going to sit here and say that. But 
I struggle to believe that Kirk Cousins is a Super Bowl caliber quarterback. And, you know, we've seen examples over the years where, you know, teams have gotten to the Super Bowl. I mean, the 49ers went to the Super Bowl last year, and I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is necessarily a Super Bowl caliber quarterback. But you need a full team built to make that kind of run. I think the Bills are built to win a Super Bowl. And when you're one piece away from that, and I know Brandon Bean would argue that they weren't when he made this deal, but it's looking like they were. This guy has completely changed the dynamic of this offense. We're talking about catches. We're talking about what it's mean for, meant for Josh Allen, for Cole Beasley, for John Brown, for Gabriel Davis, who leads the Bills in touchdowns, a fourth-round rookie. He's meant everything to this offense. And when you get that kind of guy that, does, that changes everything for everybody around him, you know, I use yesterday's example, and I'm not just taking one game where Stephon Diggs was good and Justin Jefferson was bad. But what I'm, what I'm showing you is that in a game where both teams needed their number one receiver, and Justin Jefferson, in my opinion, has been their number one receiver this year, yeah. despite feeling scoring a lot of touchdowns. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers shut down Justin Jefferson yesterday. And Stephon Diggs rose to the occasion and raised his game. And that's just who he is right now. Justin Jefferson's a rookie having a good season, a great season. Rookie of the year caliber season. But Stephon Diggs is having a great all-pro caliber season. And he's had a great career. And he's done it year after year after year. When, when Justin Jefferson does that, we can change the tune on this conversation. And we'll see what that means for the Vikings. But if you're, the point of a trade is to make your team better. And how much better are the Vikings this year than they were last year with Stephon Diggs? Stephon Diggs has taken the Bills to Super Bowl caliber, in my opinion. That's a great point. I like, you're very uh, enthusiastic. I love that point. Um, yeah, Stephon Diggs, I mean, he's just like, – like, like you said yesterday, you know, were you worried about Allen at all? Hell no. Uh, like just, just that energy he brings. He is just – so special and I had my buddy over yesterday we were in our Diggs jerseys and like he's just making every play and I'm just like oh my gosh this is awesome um he goes up to Allen throughout the game you good man and Allen's like I'm good like I'm I'm good he said he says Allen never gets too high too low which is good to see because I feel like last year uh he learned from that Houston game I think he was a little 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 uh confuzzled in the second half there so for Thanks to go to – and even even the block on – I don't know if you remember this play, but um, it was a Beasley quick screen. And Diggs just put this great block on the outside. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. But Diggs made this amazing block, and Beasley got like an eight-yard gain. It's just the plays like that where what you want from your number one receiver. Stephon Diggs is something special. Yeah, he's a great player, man, for sure. Uh, so now moving to Josh Allen, uh, I just want to talk about, you know – so he started with 70 yards and a pick and throughout the first, I don't know, a lot of the weeks in the beginning of the year, we were a first half team. And in the second half, we seemed a lot off in the third quarter. So when we get out to those slow starts, it's kind of scary because you're like, Oh my gosh, like this is usually where our offense gets going. Third quarter, we sort of struggle here. And all of a sudden, Josh Allen comes out firing, first drive, touchdown, they punt, next drive, touchdown. And he changes the whole narrative um, about his game. I mean, if I, 
if you told me at, at, the, at the half that Allen would have thrown for 240 and two touchdowns and threw over 50% when he was throwing under 50% at halftime, I, I would have said, I don't think so because of the way the offense was going. But Dable adjusted. They believed in the process. They got Diggs involved. I, I, they did short passes. They, he, Allen got rid of the ball quicker. I just wanted you to talk about Allen's turnaround in this game and the way he, um, you know, rose to the occasion again and just proved further that why he's in the MVP conversation and also our franchise quarterback. Yeah. Um, you know, he came out and I felt like he was trying to figure out what the Steelers were doing. I thought, so two things were happening. I thought that, they were doing a good job of making things murky in the secondary. And in a game like this, it's so important to remember this point. Quarterbacks, good quarterbacks, don't want to set their team back with mistakes. I mean, Josh has talked about the importance of protecting the football. And you can tell that he was very aware of what the Steelers were doing and the fact that he was under quite a bit of duress. I thought the offensive line struggled in the first half. And I think – you know, part of it was Mitch Morris going out, but I thought they were struggling even before he went out and then he returned a few series later. And it took some time, you know, to figure that out. And and you saw it start to turn at the end of the first half where, you know, Stefan Diggs started to get the ball a little bit. He made that one play where he ping-ponged off a couple of defenders and ended up mm-hmm. uh, run after catch for another uh, 10 or 15 yards. And those are the kind of plays that get things going. But he also... You know, there were a couple of drops in the first half. Like Gabriel Davis had had one drop down the field. I thought that he should have caught that. Um, there was another one where he caught it, but he was out of bounds. Um, those plays, you know, who knows if 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 maybe the numbers aren't even even better if you if you make a couple of those plays. But he had the tip pass. Um, Dawson Knox ended up fumbling. I thought that there was a a real effort made by Josh Allen to target. Dawson Knox in this game like I felt like there was one play where Cole Beasley I talked about in the pod last night where he was wide open and he forced it to 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 Dawson Knox at the goal line and whatever I mean all's well that ends well they got the ball at the one yard line but I I thought that they were they were making a a a specific plan to get the ball Dawson Knox's way Um, I I don't have the numbers up in front of me in terms of targets but um, so there's that but I thought that his play in the second half was indicative of what we've seen of him all year. I mean, they had, they had no answers for him. It seemed like they started ratcheting up the blitz a little bit more in the second half, sending a little bit more different pressures, uh, using their linebackers and DBs a little bit more. And that's, that's not gone well for teams this year, which is a huge jump from last year because in that Baltimore game specifically that the, they were just sending the house and Josh was really struggling with that. So um, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a, a question answered how would he do on prime time when things weren't going right? Because everything went right last week against San Francisco. I mean, from the, the moment the game started to the end, he yeah. was really, really good. And so I, I think that they, they answered – he answered a lot of questions in that game with the way that he played. Yeah, I think another big adjustment that I noticed was uh, Hayward was a big – I mean, he was a great player, but Hayward was the reason – one of the main reasons that our O-line could not – our interior just could not block Hayward – and I think what we did in that second half was I think we doubled them and kind of just, you know, Knox kind of chip-blocked chip blocked Watt to help Thera Williams out, and then he'd go in the flat. And, you know, Knox made a terrific run after the catch. I want to get into Knox, too. I know you touched on him. But, uh, yeah, Dustin Knox, I want to get into now, which is 
you know, he – another play where it's, like, just the most unfortunate – like, is it a pick or a fumble? I don't know. They said it was a fumble. But um, it was just the most unfortunate play for me because he, was, he had two touchdowns in the last two weeks, and he's been playing good football. And, um, you know, I – the Tyler Croft being inactive still, I don't know, it's kind of kind of confusing. But I think that Dawson Knox has shown, besides that fumble, that – he is capable, and he's still a raw talent. You know, I know Ryan compared him to Josh Allen last night as a tight end, like, uh, prospect. So, you know, Dawson Knox, does he have the potential to, like, keep this going, and can he limit the mistakes, or do you th- want to see another, like, Tyler Croft get back in there? I like what they're doing. Um, I think the reason that Tyler Croft isn't um, – out there is because they they want to get Dawson Knox reps. They want to get him chances to make plays. And with Croft active, you almost have to put him on the field. I think he's a consistent playmaker. And, you know, if he's going to take a roster spot, you're probably going to want to get him on the field. And then you're looking at a, a split. But I think they saw what happened when they tried to split snaps earlier in the season where it's just like Dawson Knox disappears a little bit. And, you know, you're seeing as, as they get more confident – confidence in their offense there there's a more uh the, the comfort level has, has risen in trying to get Dawson Knox involved and you know when he makes mistakes like he did with the fumble mm. kind of look more like an interception because I don't think the ball ever touched the ground but yeah it was know, a weird play it was a weird, weird play but you know you know that those are going to be uh plays that you know set him back but I think that the more that he plays I think they see the potential of a weapon that he can be in this offense if he can find some consistency. Like Travis Kelsey, even with all the playmakers around Patrick Mahomes, I mean, Sammy Watkins and Tyreek Hill is a really nice wide receiver duo when, when Sammy's healthy, which yeah, it's rare. Um, yeah. But Kelsey is this guy that's just like, uh, you know, it's almost like he, he takes Patrick Mahomes to another level of just scary good. And so – if, if they see that in Dawson Knox, I think that they're trying to figure out, okay, if we give him a real runway for uh, an audition down the stretch here, if he's not the answer, maybe they need to find a tight end answer next year, whether it be in the draft or free agency, to add that dynamic to this offense. So I don't have a huge problem with it. I think the thing that we've, we should have learned as a Bills community this year more than anything is that there's a plan happening with his coaching staff. And there's a, there's a plan for development. They're going to develop the players that they draft. That's just the way that this regime works. And if you're not happy with Levi Wallace, if you're, you know, when people were pounding the table to get AJ Klein off the field, like there's a plan. They seem to know what they they're doing. And I think they've earned the right to, you know, they not earned the right. They've earned the confidence for fans to, Kind of let them figure those things out on the fly, and as this thing goes along. So I'm not, I'm not one of the people that have that are sitting here saying cut Dawson Knox after every mistake <laughs> that he makes. I think people need to take a little bit of a step back on social media, man. You got a ten and three football team. Relax a little bit. Um, the Brian, the Brian Dable haters come out whenever there's a slow start, and it, it's wild to see. But I get it. There's passion. I mean, this this team's good. Yeah. There's there's a lot that can, you know, people are hoping for the moon and so i get it oh yeah absolutely it, it's you know at times it is frustrating but dawson Knox, you know you gotta live with those mistakes he's raw 
he, I mean, he can only get better. I mean, that's that's how I look at it. I mean, if he gets more involved, uh, he can be a huge threat in our offense. Uh, I want to finish here with well, two more things, but I want to finish with one more player, which is uh, Darrell Williams. So I sent out a tweet last night at like one o'clock in the morning, and I'm like, I know I I, I don't usually I get some likes on my tweets, but you know, not like not like you and Ryan. Like I'm not like a you know big guy, but I tweeted that. Uh, Daryl Williams is the unsung hero of this game and how he just manhandled a lot, not manhandled, but kept him in check and didn't uh, let him impact the game. Um, Daryl Williams has, you know, secretly been our best offensive lineman, I, I think, in pass protection all season. And last night just proved how good of an addition he was. And I don't think uh, the Bills Mafia understands how important he was to this team. Uh, getting that established right tackle. He's, he's a veteran. He's from Carolina, McDermott guy. Um, you know, I just want you to talk about Darrell Williams and how much of an impact he had on this game and limiting Watt and taking away the presumably, uh, according to his brother, JJ, the defensive player of the year. Yeah, man, he was, uh, he was, per- he was really, really good last night. And, you know, the consistency there from Daryl Williams really opens up the possibilities for this offensive line. And, you know, you hate to see Cody Ford go down. You'd like to have seen what a stretch could have looked like maybe with him in there. And that's not to downplay what Ike Bucker has done, because I thought thought that he's been really, really good for this Bills team and a a really nice find. Another guy that, you know, when he came into the game in his first two years, there were – I mean, we used to talk about it in the media group, like, man, he just looks lost and, like, just bad. And, you know, the patience that they showed there, I mean, if that's not indicative of of putting your confidence in this coaching staff, I don't know what is because he's been just really, really good. Last night, I'm on PFF now, not as good of a grade last night. He got a 38.4, 17 uh, pass block, 51 run block. So he struggled a little bit last night, but, you know, he was lined up across from Casey Hay- or um, Cam Hayward a lot of the night, and so that, that's going to be that's a tough assignment. And yeah. uh, I, I'm not going to you know kill the guy in his fourth start for that. Uh, but I think they just found a nice collection of talent. I think that that's Daryl Williams' strong play at right tackle. This is something we talked about in the offseason, if you remember AJ, like Ryan and I on the show, like people that I talked to in Carolina were, were miffed at why the, the Panthers wanted to move him all around like some retread journeyman when he put up a all pro season at right tackle. And like, lo and behold, the bills bring him in and they place him at right tackle. And they say, go do what you did best in 2017. And Oh, he's doing what he does best. It's not, sometimes football is not rocket science. Sometimes it's simple. And uh, I think that he's been really good. He's taken advantage of his opportunity. He's spoken about how much he enjoys playing just one position and the position that he feels he's best at. And he, he was on display last night to your point. It was a good tweet. Good take. Thank you. Uh, yeah, Daryl Williams just, I mean, undoubtedly just kept that, kept that game for Buffalo. Um, you know, Alan, like, like you said, he was facing pressure in the first half. He was throwing off his back foot backing up. He had to sling a couple, like that Gabe Davis, the one that was incomplete. He kind of just slung it out there. I think if he had time to deliver that ball, um, that would have been a fir- first down and maybe even more. So uh, now I want to finish with this. Um, so 10 and three, I predicted the Bills go 10 and six personally. So they've already exceeded my expectations, um, especially with this tough schedule. Um, I know you mentioned it before, but I want 
to hear it again because, you know, I've only experienced a drought and two playoff losses. So are you willing to say that the Buffalo Bills this year, with the addition of Stephon Diggs, are Super Bowl contenders? Yes. And, I th- and I'll go even one step further and say that I think they're the only team in the AFC that has a chance to beat the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs are head and shoulders above everybody else in this league, and that's including the Bills. I still think, you know, you go back to that, that week, what was it, week six matchup, and they were, they were outclassed in that game. They weren't 100% healthy. They were missing some very important pieces. But I think that an AFC championship game in Kansas City is the only team that I think has a chance to, to beat them are the Bills. And I think that's because they can go blow for blow with them with their offense. I think their defense can um, come up with a, a plan to, you know, frustrate the uh, Kansas City offense and Patrick Mahomes. So uh, I think that they are a Super Bowl contender. I think that they are – I think it's – my power rankings go right now, Kansas City, Buffalo, New Orleans. And I would pick the Bills to beat the New Orleans Saints as well. So it's like it's almost like this weird thing where if they get there, I think they would be the favorite. I just I just can't pick them to be the favorite over the Chiefs because I think the Chiefs are just too good. Okay, you heard it here. Twenty twenty Buffalo Bills. I agree with you hundred um, percent. I think the Bills are the biggest threat to the Chiefs. They showed that last night by beating the eleven to one Pittsburgh Steelers at home at prime time. Matt, thank you so much. I know you're busy uh, during the week. Uh, thank you for joining me. It means a lot. Anytime, buddy. Thanks Alrighty. for having me. Yeah, have a good one. Uh, this is AJ Zabalski with the Buffalo Sports Podcast, and we will see you next time. Um, go Bills, and remember that the Bills are 10-3 for the first time since 1991. All right, have a good one.